This is the Law School Show. Rishi, what up? Episode number three, the Law School Show. We're back. A uh, big thank you to everybody who has been listening over the first two episodes. And also a big thank you to everyone who has been spreading the word. Please keep uh, sharing the podcast with anybody you think who can benefit from the content that we are sharing. And please do not forget to subscribe by clicking the button below. It really means a lot to us and it, it keeps us going to bring you even better content in the future. Harry Houdini, the greatest necromancer of the ages, perhaps of all times. What was up with that accent, man? That's my announcer accent. <laughs> a necromancer um, is somebody who is in touch, who is a mystic, has magic. Really? Harry Houdini used magic to come back from the dead. But, I mean, obviously he did not use magic. What he did use was a persistence, an interest in his art form, and an ability to overcome the fear of sharing his unique craft with the world, which made him very successful. I think you have hit on something very important. It's uh, getting over your fear and keeping a positive attitude. I think a lot of us get held back from pursuing our dreams because of fear of losing. But the best thing that can happen to us is for us to fail and actually overcome those fears and keep going after those dreams and keeping a positive mental attitude because ultimately that is what's going to allow us to achieve our dreams. Embrace the journey, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And over and over I see and read about people who have had success who do this and they have success in a greater capacity, in a, in a more fulfilling way than someone who might have an innate skill that is off the charts, but is, is frozen by their, their fear of failure or their, their laziness. And I think the guests that we have in our podcast or uh, the episode, the roundtable today, really have those characteristics and uh, they have been opened doors that otherwise traditionally might not have been opened for a lot of us. And they have been able to do that by knocking on them continuously, keeping that positive attitude, and just persistence, pure persistence and hard work. Announcements. Number one, iTunes. The Law School Show has been submitted. The good people at Apple are waiting to approve it, and it should be live for all y'all to download onto your personal devices to carry with you very, very soon. And second... If you have any specific questions about law school, about the episodes, or if you have any suggestions about people that we can interview or any other ideas about the law school show, please, please send those ideas, questions, suggestions to lawschoolshow at gmail.com. And Chris and I will do our very best to either reach out to those individuals or get back to you with our answers. Uh, coming soon, the resources series, the resources series are short tools that will make you better, make you the law school student better at being a law school student, the prospective law student more successful in their applications, or the graduate law student more successful in their career. The first to drop will be tools for the Toronto OCI Day. Look out for those. 
over the next two weeks and be sure to reference them a couple days before your OCI day to be as prepared as possible. Position yourself for success. And last, in the upcoming episodes, we will be bringing you interviews with other lawyers, academics, and researchers, just so that all of us have a better idea about the different doors that open up to us uh, once we have a law degree. That's enough of us yammering on taking up your valuable time. So let's roll right into it. Law School Show, episode three, unique experiences, unique second year summer jobs. What's up, guys? Hello. How's everyone doing? Hi, good. Good. Nice. So we got a dreary Wednesday evening. People made their way over in the rain to have a thrilling discussion about summer experiences. So let's uh, let's do it. Let's go around the table. Let's start. Um, just describe, say who you are, what your name is, and where you worked this past summer. Um, my name is Elena Ponti, and I'm a third year, evidently. And last summer, um, I worked at WIPO, the World Intellectual Property Organization, at the UN in New York City. Uh, my name is Annie Mamacon, and during the summer I worked at the Crown's Office in the Civil Litigation Department in Toronto. My name is Reem Zaya, and I'm also a third year. This summer I worked at the Prosecutor's Office uh, in Windsor doing criminal law. My name is Kevin Long, and this past summer uh, I worked for Osler, Hoskin, and Harcourt in Ottawa, and I'm a third year. Right on. All right, so let's start with a um, high-level description of... So where you worked and generally what the work entailed. Kev, we'll start with you. Sure. So I, uh, I was uh, formerly in the corporate uh, rotation at Osler, Ottawa, um, but I also did uh, tax work and some uh, privacy work over the summer as well. Um, cool. Yeah. So the work I did fell under the purview of the Attorney General, and the Attorney General has various departments and divisions that do different things. I worked with the criminal law division, and the division that I worked in has a counterpart in, in every major city basically across the country where prosecutions take place. So essentially the role of the prosecutor's office is to screen any of the charges that are laid by the police, take those screening mechanisms, and then decide whether or not uh, a, there's a reasonable prospect of conviction for the individual, and B, whether or not there's a public policy interest in pursuing the prosecution. So my job as a summer student was essentially to see that process from the very beginning and sometimes until uh, uh, the very end. Maybe not for a specific case, but in terms of seeing glimpses of certain cases along the way. Uh, so the pre-charge phases included, the screening, char uh, the screening mechanisms, how those are actually executed. The, uh, the process by which bail works, remand, a full trial up until sentencing. And much of the work that we did uh, in Windsor applied to a range of offenses in the criminal code, anything basically from a dangerous offender application to a murder trial to a sexual assault trial. It was very, very broad in scope and, uh, and very exciting. And I'll dig deeper into, into what I did after uh, others go. I also worked for the Minister of the Attorney General, but I was on the civil side. Our office at 720 Bay essentially deals with all of Ontario's litigation. Most of the time we're the defendants, so when people sue the government, we would act as the government's lawyers. 
Um, but occasionally we're also the plaintiffs when we also bring actions. Um, my work throughout the summer was very varied. So we did a lot of litigation spanning from tort law to contracts to commercial stuff to malicious prosecution. I even got to sit in um, on an arbitration. So the work is very, very sort of wide in its scope. And uh, it's a big office. There's there's a lot of lawyers. I think there's about 70 lawyers. I could be wrong. That's the last number that I remember. But um, that's essentially it. And I guess I will also give you more examples later on as we proceed. So I worked at WIPO, as I said before. Um, what does WIPO stand for? The World Intellectual Property Organization. And it's a specialized agency of the UN. So the New York office, WIPO's official headquarters are in Geneva in Switzerland. And the official, the... WIPO New York office, which is where I worked, is an office that does a lot of work with the UN. Most of my work that I did for the for WIPO was going to a lot of meetings, attending a lot of task force meetings, and reporting back. And the UN works in a certain way that you have a lot of general initiatives and then a lot of breakout groups led by different ambassadors or different interest groups that put together indicators and reports and recommendations for the General Council and the General Assembly. Um, also, this second summer of my, um, of my law school, I did a brief work as a member of the in-house council at Bombardier in Pittsburgh. And that was, it was part of contracted work, but um, there I actually did a lot of directly working with engineers and people that have other perspectives that are not from a legal background and trying to put together a white paper that would have recommendations for them that would be understandable even if they didn't have a legal background and I learned a lot doing that as well. Um, so yeah, the work at WIPO was actually very different from anything I'd done before. I ended up uh, working, me personally, um, I did a lot of research as well on trade secrets and developing a database of actualized legal issues for WIPO. Um, I also answered the phone, which was very exciting. It doesn't sound very exciting, but WIPO has a hotline helpline. And um, anyone over the world from four to six gets directed to the New York office. And I was in charge of answering all their queries. <laughs> Though we do not answer, we do not provide any legal advice. Specialized legal advice not provided. Disclaimer. <laughs> Disclaimer. <laughs> oh, it sounds like we have a pretty fantastic table here, actually, with very diverse experiences uh, that all of you have to offer. Let's just go around the table and see what was your motivation in getting the summer position, or what inspired you to get this position. Did you talk to anybody? Did you was it a course that inspired you, or did you always? wanted to do what you actually ended up doing in your second year summer. So for this question, we'll start off with Annie. Sure. I actually didn't really have any background in this until I came to law school. So in my first summer, um, after completing my first year of law, I actually ended up at the Department of Justice in their civil litigation branch. Um, it was a specialized unit on class actions and mass litigation. So in, in that summer time, I gained a lot of experience in litigation and I found the area really exciting. So going into second year, I wanted to pursue litigation a little bit further and learn more about, um, about litigation, what skills you could develop throughout sort of a second summer where you, now that I had exposure to it for a summer. 
So that was really my main motivation. And um, this was actually through the OCI process. The Ministry of Attorney General, um, particularly my office, the Civil Litigation Branch, does do OCIs. And so I went through that process. What time of year are those OCIs? That's the same time that the Toronto OCIs are. Okay. Yeah. So it's the same process that you go through, but the interview is a little bit different. And I can go into that once we'll be we get, we get there. Yeah. We'll touch that. Uh, Reem? Inspiration is a loaded question. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, I started off, I came to law school originally not to become a prosecutor or a criminal lawyer. I was very interested in doing immigration and refugee work. And then I sort of started to dabble into different areas and ask questions in, in other disciplines and, and other forms of disciplines in law, and, and criminal law became one of them. I largely became inspired, I guess, as a result of my, my personal history, um, not obviously with the criminal justice system myself. I've never been, <laughs> been charged or convicted. No, that's good to know. But, uh, but there, there's, there's a personal element to my uh, longing and my desire to do criminal law. And much of it sort of evolved after I took first year criminal law with Professor Bond. Uh, and for those of you who have uh, small group crim, you'll understand that it'll be very difficult not to fall in love with crim when you take a small group course, especially when uh, you've got a great professor. So a lot of it was largely inspired at the first year level and then into second year, I, I ended up doing a criminal law moot, the Arnup Sapinka moot, and that, uh, that also spearheaded my, uh, my objective, so to speak, after that. Fantastic. Helena? Evidently, the UN is a dream for a lot of people, or at least I assume it is because it definitely is mine. You cut my veins and I bleed blue. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds a bit, you know, macabre, the, but... They gave you the Kool-Aid there. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. No, but I've, um, I've always... International... The international realm is my reality. And everyone I met this summer was brilliant, had fantastic ideas. And to anyone who says that the UN is a stagnant enterprise, it's not. Everyone is moving. Everyone's constantly doing things. And I want to be part of that. And I think, you know, even if we have to take a shot on the salary side, it is worth it, you know? <laughs> You're here. See it? Um, for me, well, I think uh, looking at my background, it might not be apparent why uh, I'm so into corporate law. Um, I have a background in environmental studies um, as my undergrad, and I'm also heavily involved in politics. But for me, I think the biggest draw of corporate law is that um, one, it's it's uh, it's pretty collaborative. You know, in politics, uh, you can either work with people on the other side, or you know, your rivals, or you can you know fight them. You know, when when the election time comes. And for me personally, like I, I like taking a more like a more teamwork, collaborative approach. Um, and in corporate law, I mean, it's usually you have one business trying to do business, uh, trying to you know to to secure a contract with another business, um, and. The, the ultimate goal is the same for both parties, that they, they want this deal to succeed so that they can both, um, you know, celebrate and, and hopefully, you know, make a lot of money or something. And, and I think, and that really appeals to me. And also the fact that the, in corporate law, there's a lot of, uh, like, uh, client-side, uh, customer service kind of focus. So that for me is, is um, 
you know, is, is a big draw. And also I think in, in corporate law, when you're working with businesses, you, you work with so many different types of industries and, and companies. Um, you know, you work with small businesses, you also work with large institutional clients. So you get to see a lot of different things and learn a lot about, um, you know, say like banking or, or a new technology that, that's coming out, right? And so there's always, there's always room to grow in, in whatever industry and whatever area that you work in. Fantastic. And just to springboard off of that, I, it's really interesting to see sort of one half of the table here talking about client-based situations where you've got the firm, you know, you've got the firm with the client, you've got that, that access sort of, of business, business endeavors. Whereas with uh, civil litigation in the case of Annie and, and the prosecution, in, in, in my experience, your client is ultimately the state which makes things very interesting because you don't have billables, which means you don't charge people or you don't charge your clients based on the hour, based on anything you've been doing in relation to the case. You're essentially a government public servant, which means your salary is fixed and the public interest is the interest that you provide. That's what you're looking out for. That's, that's your mission. That's your objective at the outcome of each case, the outset and the end, the end, the outcome of each case, which makes for a juxtaposed sort of, uh, relationship between you as counsel and your client. Yeah, and just to add to that, um, on the civil litigation side, the interesting thing is that your clients are essentially ministries. So you're not dealing with individuals, you're dealing with these huge entities that have their own policies and way of doing things. So there's a lot more to factor in when you're thinking about what is your next step as a litigator. It's a very different dynamic on the government side in that sense than what we get on the business side of the world. Well, it's good to hear at least that even though there are different motivations for you guys to end up where you did, but the good part is that you did. And it seems like by the sounds of it, you ended up enjoying what you were uh, at least practicing. You learned a lot from your last summer. Yeah, and one thing I want to know is that, and one thing I realized in life is that sometimes when you're not quite sure what it is you want to do, an effective thing is to rule out things that you do not want to do. So I want to hear from any of you or all of you about like, Tell me one thing that you just knew outright that you did not want to do in terms of second year summer work and one of the reasons why. Real estate. <laughs> real estate. That is all. I, 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 nothing, I have nothing more to say but real estate. Actually, I think it's, it's dangerous to rule out things. I was actually um, supposed to do the JDMA program with Nipsia, and I thought I was going to go off and be a diplomat. But then I decided at the end of my first year that that was definitely not my path. I wasn't going to do the MA at Nipsia, and that I was going to go for a full three years of law and then go for it. But at the end of my first year, I also thought I was going to go into corporate law. So never close any doors. And I know this is even worse because now you're like, okay, so I don't know what I want to do, and I can't rule out things that I don't want to do. Yeah. So I'm basically at an end game, but. But I guess, you know, one thing I found in University of Ottawa, we do get a lot of opportunity to try a variety of things, like you were saying, when you come into law school, but then be able to determine whether that's something you want to pursue or say, you know, that's something that I don't want to do. For instance, we have those internships that you can take advantage of, and we have two that you can do throughout your law career, try out whether it's real estate, criminal law, WIPO, uh, and realize that that's your dream and that's your passion, or definitely not, and then go a different route. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I've never really ruled out anything. Um, I have very particular interests, and civil litigation wasn't necessarily one of them, but I fell into it, and I really enjoyed my experience, and I've learned a lot. Uh, one thing that a professor of mine said uh, to me when I was seeking his advice was, 
you know, never rule out a position because the market is, we're in a difficult time right now. So you never know what door is going to open if you just take, take a certain path. Um, but with that said, for example, as Rishi mentioned, some internships, like I took uh, a student proposed internship last January and I was at um, the Department of Public Safety in their intelligence policy unit, uh, working in policy and law. And I really enjoyed my four weeks there. It was great experience. And I realized that that's a path I would like to pursue. And then in the summer, I ended up in civil litigation. And though I enjoyed civil litigation, I realized that that's not something that I would like to go back to. So I decided to go to the Department of Justice, right? Mm -hmm. So it, it kind of, I think your experiences will teach you what you don't like and what you do like. And if it's good, good to have a point of reference. And for me, if I hadn't taken those opportunities that at first sight didn't seem very attractive to me, I wouldn't have been able to figure that out. So right. I would say don't really rule out anything. It's nice to try things out. I would also add to that, I'm glad that you, you brought these two points up, Annie and Elena, because I think the, the pressure in first year is to find a legal job right away. But the reality is you don't necessarily have to find a legal job after your first year. Your summer of 1L, that transition between 1 and 2L, it's not necessarily the case that you're working at a firm in a very traditional black and um, black letter law setting or you're with government or whatever the case may be. Uh, I'll give you an example. After my first year, I did a variety of things in the summer for, for numerous entities, one of, which was, uh, one of which was a report for a parliamentary organization. So it's not necessarily legal-based work, so to speak. You're not doing the same level of analysis. You're not dealing with clients. But it's law at sort of the policy level. And I know some of my colleagues have done the same thing in terms of policy work with organizations and corporations that need that sort of, um, sort of high-level, outside-of-the-box type of thinking that in turn helps with your legal analysis in terms of calibrating that ability to think outside of the box for law. So don't be discouraged if you don't find a position after first year. I mean, I say this almost hypocritically because I I didn't make it. I didn't make the cut after my first uh, my first year for any of the summer jobs, which is why I had to be creative about what I was doing during that summer. And I would just encourage all of you not to be discouraged and to find your niche and, and to find it with moderation. Some of you may or may not be comfortable opening up to everything because you have certain comfort zones. But uh, when you do find what you like, and even if it's, if it's a couple of areas, definitely tackle all of them and see which one, uh, which one really inspires you the most or really, really gets you thinking the most. Based on this discussion, I guess, one question that comes to mind when at least we came to first year law school, a lot of people said, enjoy the first summer because that's probably the last summer you're going to have before you're going to be full-time working because second year you need to a lot of people say they need to get a job so you can line up articling and whatnot. We just wanted to hear your opinion on what do you think about that, taking that, what should somebody be taking that first summer off or is it a good idea to actually try to find a job or what are just... And, what, and mention really quickly what you guys did first year summer yeah, too. Yeah, that would be good too. Yeah. So we'll start with uh, Elena here. The first summer, as I mentioned before, I worked with Northern Rose Fulbright in Beijing, in China. And I did, I was in the corporate law division. Um, I ended up working with a lot of departments because there was only uh, three interns and all summer students. There was one summer student from Canberra, from, um, from Australia, and another student all from Beijing, who are both very brilliant people and great friends, I, if you're listening to this. <laughs> <laughs> 
We'll be sure um, to send it to them. Yes, <laughs> for sure. I actually consciously tried to get a legal job at the summer of my first year. And I did this because, as I mentioned before, I was in the, I came into University of Ottawa in the JDMA program. What the JDMA program is, is that it's a four-year program, and the second year, instead of doing second-year law at University of Ottawa Law, you go to Carleton, to NIPSIA, and do a, you do a master's in international affairs. The summer of my, knowing, going into the summer of my first year, I knew that I wasn't very sure that I wanted to do an international affairs master's, and I wanted to know whether law was really the thing that I wanted to do. For background, I actually, my undergrad is in chemistry and um, mathematics, so law is something that I kind of came to and decided to try out. She's a woman of many <laughs> talents, for the record. I don't know, more like, you know, skim over everything, it's good. But, um, <laughs> but in the end, I actually chose to do that because I wanted to see if law was what I wanted to do. And it was a conscious choice, and I didn't do it because I felt that you know, the process needed that or anything like that. And I feel, I know a lot of my friends that did other jobs and other positions and that weren't legal and they had a great summer and learned a lot of things. And the thing is, ultimately, life isn't just law school, do these law things and fulfill the criteria and check all these boxes. You know, life is a continuous process. You know, you're living every moment of it. Don't do something you don't want to do. It doesn't make any sense. Don't do OCIs if you don't want to do them. There's plenty of other paths out there. A law degree is a professional degree that is a very serious degree, and you will a lot of doors will open up for you that way. I wouldn't I wouldn't, you know, consider this the first summer to be like a go party in, in Vegas for a summer kind of kind of thing, right? You just, you're still gonna be asked you know, like, what did you do this past summer from, from interviewers? And you should still have a good story, something that somehow relates back to back to why you're qualified for the job, right? So I would say that if you're going to take a, you know, use that, use that summer to do something productive still. Like, um, for me, I would still recommend trying to find a job if you can. It could be law, it could be something else. For me, I, I work for the Attorney General's office. So it was like a, like a law, but quasi-political. Um, so it's like one, you know, one foot in each kind of thing, um, because I, you know, working for the minister, he, he he's elected, um, so there's so political considerations. But at the same time, you get to work with um, a lot of uh, a lot of um, civil servants uh, on, on, on the civil side who aren't, you know, who aren't concerned with political things, right, and who are more concerned with legislative policy. Um, <laughs> but I think it's, you know, it's, my point is that your summer should still be something you can be proud of and that's something that you can um, talk about that will interest your interviewers when they ultimately ask you about it. I say you're your own publicist. You're your own agent. You market your personality, you market your abilities, you market your own niche, which means, like Elena said, you don't need to fulfill these check boxes. There is no magic formula for transitioning from 1L to 2 to 3. It's really what you make of it. And it sounds lofty, it sounds like an amorphous concept, but but it's so true. Um, and I'll give you an example. My first year, my, my summer of 1L, I did three or four different things. I, I worked as a research assistant for a professor doing some very, very neat research that I never thought I'd be able to get my hands on and that eventually interests me so much that I still read about it for leisure today. Um, I did some work, like I said, for a parliamentary committee, a nonpartisan parliamentary committee that I'm still sort of working on today. 
and I did some pro bono work for a judge at the Ontario Court of Justice, working on a specific issue targeting dangerous offenders in the criminal law context. A lot of different things were, were my plan of focus for that summer. I also decided to run a half marathon with Annie that year. <laughs> and that was a focus. I wanted to train. I wanted to get my, my health up to snuff and my physical being up to snuff. So that was a component for me. And I think looking back on that, it was, I mean, in retrospect, it was probably one of the greatest ideas. I mean, I, I look back and I, I remember that, I was upset for not having a full-time gig, but in reality, all of those those responsibilities were aggregate full-time gigs. Together, combined, I mean, I had no time to do anything else. So I'm, I'm thankful for those experiences, and I think that you can really paint your own picture using a lot of different colors in your first year, and you should take advantage of that. Being a student, I, I wish I had learned this earlier in my life, being a student is crafty, it's artistic, you can focus on a million different things at once. You're probably you're you're better a multitasker than most most lawyers, and that's the reality of it. So harness that ability to do those things in your first year, and and recognize that once you begin your second year and your and you article after that, and you start as an associate somewhere or whatever the case may be, you will never get that time back. So travel, get to know yourself, get to know your friends. If there are areas in your life that you think need working on, work on them because the reality is you're just going to continue to get busy, uh, busier and busier after that. Uh, my 1L summer also involved doing a bunch of different things. Um, I sort of stumbled into a job overnight. Um, I it, like an opportunity was brought to my attention and I applied and. One week before that, I thought I had absolutely nothing lined up for the summer. And then within a week, I had three different things lined up for the summer. So sometimes you never know what's going to come your way. But I was proactive and I sort of kept on looking. I did have a law job. I, As I mentioned earlier, I did work at the Department of Justice in class actions and mass litigation. So I was there full time over the summer. And that was fantastic experience because I did get legal experience. I was very fortunate and I uh, was given the opportunity to be very hands-on with our litigation. I was exposed to a lot um, and that experience is really why I decided to pursue civil litigation for a second summer. Um, while I was doing that I was also a research assistant like Reem for a professor and um, I was working in the area of national security law which really is my passion so I was able to get some really neat legal experience while I was delving deeper into legal issues that I was passionate about. And then I was also completing some legal research and drafted a memo for uh, an NGO, a non-governmental organization called Publish What You Pay. So I guess the theme of all that is be proactive, reach out to people and talk to people. Um, one of the things about sort of taking an alternative legal career is that sometimes the opportunities are not lined up for you and they're not put in the systematic way that you can go through. Sometimes you really have to take initiative and connect with people that you are interested in their work and talk to them and make sure that they get to know you and your work because you never know how that opportunity is going to come back to you, right? If you voice an interest in an area, maybe a professor, if an opportunity comes their way, will pick up you know, the phone or email you and say, hey, listen, 
I have an opportunity in this area, would you be interested? Because I remember that you mentioned that you were very passionate in, let's say, business and human rights, right? So you really have to be proactive. And then, um, like Reem, I was, you know, we were training for the half marathon, and actually, I um, started a running club at the law school with Professor Craig Forces, and that's still ongoing. We're going to start running again. And that was a really, really neat way of meeting new people at the law school um, in an outside context where we weren't in sort of in the law school environment and we were able to you know, do something fun and be active and sort of strengthen our, our mental capacity and, and our physical capacity. And I think they're very closely like attached, those two things together. So it was just really being creative over the summer. And that worked out really well for me. Sage advice. Actually, if I could just table. give one last plug in. <laughs> yeah, please. Um, I actually, first year, I also did um, an exchange. Well, like, uh, I went to the Renmin University in China. They have a Chinese law program. And so I did the equivalent of a semester there. And so, for anyone first year that's listening, consider that. This was while you were working in No, Northern? I did the first month is the equivalent of a semester, right? Okay. And so then I did three months and we're in Roseville right afterwards. All in Beijing. So, <laughs> but definitely consider um, doing an exchange. And, and I know there's, isn't this in law school have a program with Queens, like we, Queens and London or something? There's like a that? lot of different exchange yeah. opportunities yeah. that you can get from uh, Faculty of Law, actually, in two variety of countries. So uh, that's something that usually students end up doing in their third year. Because if you can get all your required courses done after second year, then definitely third year is open to you to do whatever you would please. So already on the podcast, we've talked a lot about uh, interviewing, preparing for interviews. Um, so really high level, really briefly, each of you describe what was the interview process like? How did you prepare for it? Uh, I guess I'll start. Um, for my 2 all summer job at the Crown's office, the, so there was a two-step interview process right at the OCIs and then um, in Toronto. At the OCIs, it, was, it wasn't really substantive. It was just a lot of questions on my resume, actually. Okay. I wouldn't say that it was necessary. It was sort of conversational, but at the same time, they had already looked at my resume, highlighted a few things, and wanted to ask me questions about that. Um, and then also for those of you who are interested in government work, you really have to think about why do you want to work for the government? You know, why that particular office? Uh, so, you know, there is sort of a public interest element there that you have to think about because those questions will be asked. And then the actual interview in Toronto was substantive. It was actually all substantive. So they did provide us with some questions in advance that we had to prepare. And then they also had other additional questions and hypotheticals that we had to sort of think on our feet and answer. Sweet. So I participated in a whole slew of interviews, a couple of which were private interviews, and about five before I landed my summer job, four or five in the attorney in the attorney general's office. For the attorney general, it is very substantive. So for my interviews, I had the I had the advantage of uh, getting a lot of opportunities to study in advance and, and interviewing, as I said, four or five times prior to landing the, the summer job. So I, I managed to, to sift through and understand what's called the Crown Policy Manual, which is the governing manual, essentially, for Crown attorneys across 
Ontario, and that's available online. So you can just Google Crown Policy Manual if you're interested. They have a series of guidelines and, and structures that crowns have to adhere to for, on a day-to-day -day basis in different aspects and facets of their job. So how they deal with a victim, how they deal with the witness, how they deal with the police officer, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I also studied more novel Supreme Court cases or Ontario Court of Appeal cases that added a different, I don't want to say added a different element to the law. I would rather say that uh, changed the law in a unique way or that were unique precedents, landmark precedents that, you know, the media was buzzing about or say the Lawyers Weekly was writing about, the, the professors were talking about in that area of law. So I was looking at exclusively criminal law cases uh, in, in areas that I was specifically interested in so that when I went into those interviews, I could say, you know, in the case of Regina and this, here's what the court set out. And in many of those those attorney general interviews, I mean, the way they're structured is a points based on a point system. So you get a series of 10 to 20 questions, depending on which department you're in, and you're scored based on each of those questions. You get something like 10 to 20 points for each. And at the end of your interview, they tally up all those points and then they compare you relative to the other candidates to see who they're going to offer the job to. So it's very rubric based, very substantive. You have to respond to the law and also have uh, a policy brain to think about how you might tackle certain hypotheticals that they're giving you. So study the Crown Policy Manual if you're interested, with, interested in work with the AG. Uh, study recent cases that have been released and be prepared for questions that are not just substantive, but th again, that also deal with the hypotheticals. So, for example, you have, uh, I don't know, a senior crown attorney who's assigned you a memorandum on this area of law. It's due next week. And so-and-so writes to you today and asks you for another memorandum on another issue. It's due in five days. You know you can't complete the two. How do you deal with the situation, right? And then you sort of have to grapple with balancing acts and who to talk to and who to address and and those sorts of uh, discretionary questions are also evaluated by the, the panel that's interviewing you. Can you also just briefly talk about how you got these interviews? Because I'm guessing they were not through the OCI process, so you had to go out and look for them yourself. Is, was there a specific place where you found where these job applications were? So some of these departments are actually done through the OCI process. You'll get that notice around, I think it's October, Annie, in mm -hmm. September or October. Yeah. So you can pitch your applications in one shot on the source, or I can't remember, what's the name of the legal database? It's the source. It's the source. source. So the source is where you look for all, the, all of these job postings. But the Attorney General specifically actually posts all of their jobs on their website. So again, quick Google search, uh, jobs with the Attorney General, and there is sections specifically for summer law students, articling students, and they indicate the deadlines, the job descriptions, who you send them to and things of that nature. Because with the Attorney General, you're sending it directly to the source. You're sending it to human resources uh, by, by email, fax, or whatever the case may be, which is a little bit different from the OCI process. That is more centralized on the database. Sweet. In my experience, um, corporate firms don't really ask you behavioral questions. Um, you know, there aren't many questions like, if you're in so-and-so situation, what are you going to do? Um, although that might pop up here and there, um, but really they, they want to get a sense of who you are as a person, um, in terms of your interests, in terms of your background, of course, in terms of your interest in the law. For the Ottawa process, um, there aren't uh, OCIs, they're just in-firm interviews. Uh, so when I applied, I received 
calls throughout uh, the week um, with uh, interview offers um, and just kind of schedule them throughout the week. So it's not, I know in some cities, uh, the inform process is over, I think, three days. Um, but in Ottawa, I think it's, it's spread out a little, a little more. So you can actually juggle your school life uh, with, with interviews a little better. For me, I, I just space out my interviews um, one per day. So I wouldn't have to uh, take too much time off school. And it's about an hour and a half. And they, they ask you, you know, very general questions. Uh, they just want to get to know you more. But always, no, no matter what your answer is, um, even your interests, try to relate it back to why you would be a good candidate um, at their firm uh, and, and how that relates to law and how that relates to your interest in uh, either like litigation or corporate law or tax or, or whatever. You should never get too... Um, casual in, during the interview process. You should, you know, always remain professional um, because, you know, they're not hiring you to be their friend. They're hiring you to be a lawyer. And in my experience, especially in Ottawa, uh, it's a very uh, tight-knit community uh, in, the, in the legal world. Um, a lot of lawyers know each other. A lot of lawyers work together. And even though we have, um, you know, a lot of uh, competing firms, there is a, a tendency um, to reach out to other firms for help um, or for suggestions. So, so lawyers do interact with each other a lot. Um, so it is, very, um, it is very important that you are able to get along not only with your colleagues, but also everyone else in, the, in, in Ottawa, in the, in the legal market. Uh, for me, my interviews, they, they, the vast majority of them were only one interview. And I was told at every interview that they usually only conduct one interview and not to expect any further ones. Um, although with one firm, I did get a, uh, and I was pleasantly surprised to get a, a, a call asking them, and they were asking me to come in um, again. And so it's always great to, um, to be able to come in again. And even if the firm says we only do one interview, I would strongly recommend that, um, that you do say to them at the end of your interview, say, you know, um, if there's a chance for me to come back, I, I would love to meet more lawyers and, and get to know the firm a little better because um, that shows initiative that you do actually care about working there. And for me, the, there was like a call day with all the offers um, and then that was about two weeks after the interview. So it's the process for Ottawa is a little more spread out, um, which is good. Can I add something very quickly? Two things. Um, even though I worked the AG, during our interview process, actually, we did have a reception which is, I think, very uncommon with most uh, government interviews, but we did have a reception. And I actually did go to the reception. At the end, I realized throughout the summer as I you know, became more and more acquainted with, with more counsel who were at the reception, um, you never know how, how much of an impression you actually make with people, right? And some of the counsel who became my mentors, um, as I spoke to them, I realized that they met me through the reception and during sort of the hiring process, there are counsel who fight for you, right? Because they, they meet you and you leave an impression on them. So those settings are actually really important, even in the government context. And the other thing is, technically, I had three interviews, and I remember, because after the substantive interview, for the candidates who had made uh, a good impression, they actually ask you if you have time to meet the director. And so you go in into a more informal interview after the substantive interview. This is done on the same day, and it's very impromptu. So it's one of those things where you should always be prepared um, and expect the unexpected. So a lot of us who sort of stepped out, some people had the third interview, some didn't. And you kind of realize that you just have to be on your game all the time and kind of be able to adjust to those situations. So obviously my process was very different. I'll keep it very brief. 
Um, for the UN, for WIPO, for the World Bank, for the World Trade Organization, uh, for all these international organizations, there's a very simple application online. Um, I was lucky because WIPO does do email. Very often when you do a World Trade Organization or a World Bank, you have to get on and you sign up, you create a, di um, a profile and no one will ever contact you in a thousand years because I'm pretty sure everyone and their mom has a profile on there and they don't look through them ever. I, I say this not knowing the process, full disclaimer, and I have nothing against the way they run their systems. I just think they could use a bit of a form. But I was very lucky with WIPO. WIPO, um, you, it's an email application, so I sent a cover letter, a written sample of my research in IP, some reference letters, and then it's all about showing interest and, pers and persistence. You can't just let your application sit there. The entire world is applying for these, for these positions. And if you show no interest, if you do not call them to inquire about the status of your application or about what kind of um, duties you will have or who else, is in, who else is in the office, how does the office work, if you don't inquire and, be, and are interested, then there is no reason anyone will take you. It shows. It shows if you call a hundred times because you really want this position. Those kind of things are important. So in the end, when, find, when you're looking for an international, if you're interested in applying to an international organization for working in the summer, it's all about you spending some time deciding, okay, I'm not going to do OCIs. I want to do this instead. And then looking out there. There's a lot of opportunities out there. And you just have to get more involved. It demands more time from you. You have to show interest. You have to call people. But the thing is, it's a rewarding process because you do get somewhere in the end. Fantastic. Well, all very, very valid points. Thanks a lot, guys, for sharing those about how do you actually line up these uh, summer positions. Uh, I know we briefly touched a bit on this about the type of work that you actually did this summer, but if we can delve a bit deeper in actually talking about whether mainly you were writing memorandums, you were in court a lot of the times, and talking a bit about your experience and what you as a summer student did. Uh, uh, this past summer. So for this, we'll start off at Reem. Also touch on the office environment a little bit. Okay. So Windsor, and I just want to be more precise. When I speak of Windsor, I speak of Windsor, Ontario. I know that there's a Windsor in Nova Scotia. So for those of you from the East Coast, it's not the East Coast. Uh, Windsor, Ontario is a border city, which means that makes for a lot of interesting crime. And so I got to see a whole variety of, uh, of offenses being played out in the courtroom. Very importantly though, I think, was the dynamic of the office that allowed me to, that enabled me to be exposed to all these areas. So I think there are some 24 Crown attorneys in the Windsor office, which means it's a smaller office relative to other Crown offices across the board. And that makes for a more that makes for a more intimate setting. Everyone there is friends. You become they become like family. They became like family to me by the end of uh, this summer, which was which was absolutely fantastic. But which in turn gave me exposure to areas that I, I've always wanted exposure to. So I'll give you an example. There were three out. There were three dangerous offender applications in Windsor, and this is public knowledge. Um, this is public knowledge, meaning it's available online. 
that was those those dangerous offender applications were being done by some of the crowns in that office. So I was able to pitch some ideas back and forth on those cases and learn a little bit more about the dangerous offender provisions, how they work. I attended one of the hearings for a dangerous offender proceeding and got to see how voluminous those records were and, and how difficult those cases could be. I did some research, I pulled some cases. So at the at the uh, at, at one, on sort of on one side, on one spectrum, I did a lot of pulling of cases. I used Quick Law, I used Westlaw. Uh, I pulled cases for different issues and highlighted the relevant parts and sent them over to the crowns before they went to trial. That was that was a big component of my job. They would walk in and say, "Hey, Reem, I'm going in for a sex assault trial, and these are the nuanced facts of my case. They're specific to whether or not." Uh, the victim consented, in this case, to sexual activity, but here's where the area of law gets murky. Can you find me a case that says this? Or can you tell me what the state of the law is on this? So when I litigate that in, say, two hours, or tomorrow, or in a week from now, I have that answer. Some of that research was also very much based in, uh, very much immersed in specific cases themselves. I, I got the chance to work on a fairly uh, intricate sexual assault case this summer with some of the Crown attorneys down there as well. And there were elements of the law that I didn't, I didn't know before going in that I managed to learn about after that. So to give you an idea of, of the types of things or the types of areas I researched, I mean, they were so broad in scope. I, I researched disclosure, the pardon system, uh, first-degree murder to manslaughter to sexual assault to probation to parole and it's such a broad scope I mean impaired driving was a big one as well it's such a broad scope because crown attorneys have heavy caseloads and a lot of the time they'll walk into they'll walk into court they'll walk into say bail court they've never seen the file and they have to make decisions on the fly about how the crown will proceed with a case so I got to learn not only a lot about the research aspect of the job in terms of writing legal memoranda, assisting with factums that were going to the OCJ or the SCJ, but I also got to learn a lot about strategy and criminal procedure. When does one object in a courtroom? How does one cross-examine a witness? What does it mean when you have an adverse witness? What is a KGB statement? What does an information look like? How do you access someone's criminal record? Uh, how do you how do you relay your information to the police? How does the police police relay its information to you? It's a whole web of intricacy that is not just based in you know me doing research and spitting out the law, but it's a lot of analysis. Uh, I was lucky enough to sit in on some some really neat meetings where uh, policy and strategy was being discussed, and, and and that of course gives you insight into how prosecutorial discretion actually works. So I, I know that's a bit vague, but I guess it's the, it's the best I can do because there was a lot going on this summer. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin, you want to share about your summer? Sure. Um, let me think. Uh, the first thing that I did was uh, a memo on election advertising, um, which is pretty cool and also a little daunting because uh, I had to you know, look at the law, um, try to find some, some case law as well, and, and prepare a memo. But I did a lot of uh, contract drafting um, and drafting things like uh, director's resolutions. Um, I also did a lot of uh, due diligence, which is pretty exciting in my opinion. And we, you know, we look at contracts or we look at um, like financial statements, stuff like that. Um, and, and 
there's a checklist of, of things to look for. So of course, you know, when you're first doing it, you don't, you don't really know what you're looking for. So these checklists are really helpful because they'll say, um, if it's a contract, you know, is there like a uh, non-compete? Is there like a non-solicitation? Is there, you know, uh, how long does the contract last for? Who are the parties? So it's, it's very simple. And you just kind of go through the list, you fill in the blanks. Um, and then if, if you fill everything out properly, then you can write a report on, you know, to say that, oh, there, there are so-and-so contracts, these ones, um, you know, these ones are, there, there's like, like, a, like a termination clause that we should be aware of. Um, and you just kind of, you write your report and you present it to the client. Um, and there's also, uh, I did a lot of tax work as well, uh, which is interesting because I don't feel like I have any, you know, after spending a whole summer doing tax, I don't have a, like a basic understanding of what tax law is <laughs> because we, we worked on very specific issues. And, and some of it was, um, like I, I didn't do litigation myself, but I guess it was, you know, there were memos to be used uh, in support of litigation, um, you know, defending any um, tax actions, um, filing notice of objections. From my, like my experience was was a good mix. I think um, I I, have, I think that I'm, I'm I know what I want and I'm I'm, I'm comfortable in, in doing uh, corporate law and I think that you know my summer has reinforced that that sort of interest for me. Fantastic. Um, so WIPO is a lot of policy work. It's obviously an international organization, a specialized agency of the UN. So a lot of the work that I did was go to UN meetings and report and do the subsequent work based on those um, big meetings. Also go to a task force meetings and write reports based on those as well. So it's a lot of report writing, a lot of running around. Meetings in the UN usually run from 10 to 1 in the morning and then 3 to 6 in the afternoon. You get a nice, nice lunch time in the middle, but that's usually filled up with more meetings because there are interest-based meetings in the middle. I actually went to a really interesting one on fracting, which ended up not talking a lot about IP, but you go to all these meetings and try to listen to what people are saying on IP, on trips, on WIPO in particular, etc. Um, on, uh, on top of all this, I was also doing my own uh, independent research. Um, Part of being an intern in a policy-based organization is that you do have to produce research deliverables that will have to be extensive research that you do through interviews, through um, literature reviews, through documentation, and you have a lot of people to talk to and people are always very willing to talk to you. Um, I also had administrative tasks, um, answering the phone, which turned out to be very interesting, um, revamping of the library database, things that you would expect to do in an office just in your kind of spare time if you have any. Um, as I mentioned before, the WIPO office was very small, but the UN is enormous. You will meet so many people every single day, new people to meet. Um, it's fantastic and the intern network is amazing. I made lots of really good friends. I met lots of very interesting people that had a lot of interesting things to say. So one thing I do recommend wherever you work Always talk and always listen to people because that's how you learn the most that you will ever learn. Yeah. So. so my work in the summer was all litigation. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, it was very widespread. A lot of, um, so the first week actually I didn't do much and the lawyers uh, warned us and said, enjoy this time because this is the only time you're going to get to relax. Mm -hmm. And then, um, of course, we didn't take their advice and we sought some work and we got a little bit of it, but we were still relaxing. And then within two weeks, we started to get assignments. So the way that they have it set up at our office, um, it's sort of two branches. 
One is we have carriage of our own small claims court files, and that's essentially our files. We're supervised by counsel, but really it's our file. We have to run it. We have to draft the factums, communicate with the client, etc. Um, the other branch is the counsel assignments that we get. So the counsel who had some work would email the student group, and there was about 10 of us, and then the students, we had our own sort of way of dividing our work, and each uh, student would take an assignment. Uh, in the beginning, we were all fighting over assignments because we were all excited to get one assignment. By the end of the summer, none of us could take on any more assignments because there were so many of them. So the general office environment is very, very busy, even throughout the summer. Um, I think in litigation, even, so it's a little bit different because I think the general perception is that in government, you have a very balanced life, and that's true. But I found that in litigation, it was a little bit different. Um, there were many, many long nights, um, especially if you have a case that's going to a trial or if there's a motion that you have to prepare for the hours are much longer than you would expect in a general government setting. So that's sort of the general gist of it. In terms of work I actually did, it was a lot of research um, and drafting memos for counsel on various issues. Um, I also helped draft several factums. I drafted my own factums and motions to strike for my own small claims court files. But for counsel assignments, you do some research for them. You draft the fa uh, you, do, you draft factums as well, actually. I did get to do that on a superior court file. Um, but one thing about research is that we actually were encouraged to do sort of old school research. We were encouraged to go to the library. And I actually use the library a lot as a researcher, and it was extremely useful. At one point, I'm pretty sure I had the entire evidence section like signed out from the library because I had to draft a memo. And it's good to go back to first principles, especially on complicated litigation questions that we get. And that was actually one thing that they expected to hear from us in the interview. Later on, counsel mentioned that they, you know, they're okay with online research, but they actually expect students to go, go down to the library, look through, you know, Hansard files and look through actual books and texts and give them a really thorough research. So that was one thing. The most exciting part of my summer was that I had two very active small claims files. So I did get some oral advocacy under my belt as well. I did go to court on two motions where I argued a motion to strike, and I also argued uh, a motion that was brought by the plaintiff. I also had a trial for my small claims. Um, I insist that I won my trial, even though my plaintiff didn't show up. But um, we did get the entire trial, um, you know, we did get the case dismissed, so we insist that we won the trial. But win. It was a win, yeah, it was definitely my first trial win. But the funny thing is, is, you know, even though it was like 50 seconds of oral advocacy, being in that physical environment, in a courtroom in front of... Um, you still have to lock eyes with the judge. Exactly, right? <laughs> and, and it's nerve-wracking. Actually, I found that just being in that physical environment a couple of times, I was becoming more and more comfortable with that environment. And for somebody who is interested in litigation, that's critical because you really need to be comfortable on your feet. And uh, the deputy judges certainly don't take it easy, especially on the students. They you know, ask you questions all throughout my motion that I argued was, I think, over an hour. Well, it felt like a lifetime, but <laughs> it was over an hour. So it, you really do get a very, very neat experience. I mean, this office does um, 
throw you in and it's sort of a sink or swim kind of environment and I think the students interested in litigation that go into this office are hungry for that kind of environment because even though the council are supportive you're not going to have your hand held every step of the way and they expect you to make mistakes and learn from them and ask you know even I, I would ask a lot of questions even silly questions like how does a back page go here right yeah. never been exposed to litigation so I don't really know all those formalities even though I had taken civil procedure so it was uh, a collegial office environment but it's a big office so even for a government office that does a lot of litigation it's quite large, so I didn't get to meet all the council or work with all of them, but I did get to work with quite a few of them, and I had a really great experience on all of those files. And one interesting thing in my summary is that I actually got to go to an arbitration hearing, which was sort of a part of this huge file, and that was a completely different experience. I got to do a lot of research on that file, so that was very exciting. So overall, I would say very broad experience, but that's what you would expect from civil litigation. And um, the office that I was in, so the, the Toronto Civil Litigation Office, it's very busy. There's a lot of work that goes around and it's not the typical government office environment that you would expect. There's a lot of work and a lot of hours go into it as well. So. Before we wrap this up, I wanna know if you guys are gonna go back to where you did your second year summer <laughs> for articles. And if no, what's your plan of attack to get those under your belt, Kev? Uh, for me, uh, I'm actually fortunate enough to be uh, to have been offered articling. Um, so I will get to uh, spend another year there. Nice, sweet. Alina? I'm going to be going back to Waipo for articling. Yeah. Awesome. Reem? I, uh, I'm going back to the Crown's office and I'm very, very excited uh, to, to be there for a lot of reasons. I think mostly Windsor is my hometown, but a big part of it is how much I got along with those Crown attorneys. It, it makes a world of a difference when they like you and you like them and it's a mutual working relationship. So Nice. I actually will not be returning to this office. Um, even though I had a great experience there, I decided that I want to article with the Department of Justice. So I actually applied to my articling position, and this is the headquarters in Ottawa, um, actually just two weeks after having started my summer position. Fortunately, that's just how the application deadlines are set up. Right. And so I applied just because, as I mentioned, I had that DOJ experience for my first summer. I have a particular interest in you know, international law, national security law, and these are areas of law that I wouldn't be able to explore in the provincial Crown uh, Attorney's Office, not Crown Attorney's, but the Crown's Office. I would just add to that that there may be, there will always be, in my opinion, overlap with the AG. So if you start with them in a summer position and you apply to that same office for an articling job, you'll be interviewed during the summer at some point. Uh, and there might be a possibility that you don't get that job and you have to deal with the reality of being able to, to produce quality work despite the fact that you weren't the selection because it's not always a guarantee uh, with the Attorney General's office. It's not always necessarily the case that you'll be hired back for articles. For example, within the first three weeks of being at the Crown's office in Windsor, uh, I was offered a, an articling interview and I didn't hear back for a couple of days. And let me tell you, those two days were very, very difficult because you ask yourself, you wonder, what's it going to be like here for the next three months if I wasn't their top choice, right? So 
prepare yourself for those realities because it's never really a guarantee. You, you have to you have to earn those positions. Fantastic, guys. Well, we want to thank you for taking this time. I think we got a lot of valuable advice out for our listeners uh, from a variety of perspectives, from government side, from international side, as well as from corporate side. So thanks a lot for taking this time, and uh, good luck with your articles uh, in the upcoming year. Thanks for having us. This is The Law School Show.